Hey everyone, on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, we have Ben Perrin. And Ben is better known as BTC Sessions on YouTube and on Twitter and everywhere. This guy is half a perfect Your Life, Your Term story because he ventures out into the world of YouTube and it makes it his full-time gig, which is absolutely amazing. And on top of that, he's doing it in the world of Bitcoin. So on this episode, we get to break down how he transitioned from doing what he was doing previously into the world of YouTube and making videos and how that became his full-time gig. So he spent half of this episode going down that path and that journey, which we absolutely love to see other Canadians doing what they love to do the way they want to do it just makes us happy. So to share these stories is what we're all about. So we get to do that with Ben. In the second half, we talk about all of what you need to know around Bitcoin and Bitcoin security and wallets and taking care of your Bitcoin. And if you are listening to this and wondering why we talk about Bitcoin so much is listen, we have this three bucket strategy where we believe everybody should have access to cash for emergencies and deflation. We should have income streams. We believe in multiple income streams. We obviously believe that real estate can be one of those income streams as, uh, along with building your own business, of course. And then if you're going to have some savings, we believe in keeping it in the form of hard money. And what we mean by hard money is money that cannot be manipulated or created at will. For us, that is things like gold and now things like Bitcoin. And because Bitcoin is new to most of the world, we need to talk about this stuff. So to have Ben on here to under to help us all understand wallets and security, how you own this stuff, how you keep it safe, what to think about when you're buying this stuff is really extremely valuable to us. And that's why we want to share this information because it perfectly fits into one of our three buckets that we believe creates the financial independence we all need to live life on our terms. So first half is Ben's story of him transitioning into YouTube and creating that as a thing that he does on a full-time basis. And the second half is talking all about Bitcoin and Bitcoin wallets and everything you need to know. We have links to his tutorial videos that you can find in the show notes of this episode. So if you go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash podcast and you find Ben's episode, it'll be clearly named as BTC Sessions. You'll get links two different tutorials that we discuss in there and we drop a couple f-bombs in there mostly because he's wearing a t-shirt that just made me laugh and we had to bring it up and it reminds me if you're listening to this podcast always be aware if you have kids in the car we could be dropping f-bombs and swearing at certain times and it comes at you sometimes quickly sometimes for episodes we don't and sometimes it happens we kind of just do it so always be aware and definitely drop a few F-bombs on, on uh, this podcast at some point. So great chat. Thrilled to bring you Ben, uh, better known as BTC Sessions. And if you are listening to this and you want to dive into the world of real estate as one of your possible income streams in your life, and you want to better understand how Canadians, your next door neighbors, people who are, who are living in your community are investing right here in the GTA and the Golden Horseshoe in cash flowing real estate, because everybody's telling you it's not possible and prices are crazy and you can't create cash flow. Well, we're, we're here to tell you, you can create cash flow. You just need to know the strategies to do it. If you want to learn more about what we are doing, you can go to our free training class at CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. That's Canadian. Let me check that. You know, let me check. Is it .ca? How, how have I said this URL so many times? Canadian Real Estate Training.com or .ca? .ca? .com. Stick with me here. Canadian real estate training. I can't even type it out. Cana Canadian real estate 
training.com. Is that it? It's coming up. Hold on. It's thinking. Yes, it is CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. I apologize for putting you through that. It's CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. That's the URL to go to to directly register for our, it's pretty much once a month where we do our free 90 minute session. Nick and I are live on there and we stick around to answer all questions as well. So if you want to figure out how Canadians are investing right here in your own backyard in the greater Toronto area and the Golden Horseshoe, go to CanadianRealEstateTraining.com and you can register yourself a seat where we share all that information. That's enough for this long intro. Let's get on with the show with BTC Sessions. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, great. We are live with, I I was going to say Ben, but for some reason I like Benjamin. Benjamin sounds serious, man. You sound like a serious character with the name Benjamin. It's deceiving, really. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're trying trying to dodge around it a little bit. No, but Ben, uh, good to meet you like this. I think uh, we kind of chatted through Twitter a little bit and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I really appreciate you kind of reaching out and and, and us kind of doing this. So this is this is fantastic. I want to know more about your story before we get into the Bitcoin stuff, because mm-hmm. you're going to help a lot of our audience with some Bitcoin security and stuff that I think might be pretty basic to you that is going to be mind blowing to us. So <laughs> I really appreciate that you're doing this, but I just want to share something with you because I was been listening to a few of your YouTube videos, which you do a great mm-hmm. job on, by the way. Thank you. And just hearing your story, I want to know more about it. And the reason I want to know more about it, you might not know this about us, but Nick and I, Nick's my brother, we mm-hmm. quit our tech jobs. I was in Oracle. I worked at Oracle, then at NetSuite for about 10 years total. And I quit because I was losing my mind. I I couldn't do the corporate thing anymore. I quit. We had our real estate license on the side because we were, you know, we were embarrassed to even have a real estate license. We didn't like any realtors. We were buying rental properties for years. Both of us had flipped properties, bought rental properties with our tech commissions that we were making. Then we thought, let's quit our jobs. We'll use our real estate license to help other Canadians get in. Mm -hmm income properties, because it's our belief that a good piece of real estate is one way to circumvent the monetary policy in this country. And that with a good piece of real estate, we can kind of get quote unquote, get ahead. You know, we can create some income, maybe if we're lucky, it'll appreciate, right? There's no guarantee to that. But uh, you know, if, if we can get good income, the debt will be paid down slowly, and we can have an asset base and we can help other people build that asset base. Yeah. So we called the company Rockstar Real Estate. It's just myself and my brother. Now there's 50 of us here. And uh, we have this motto of your life, your terms. And the reason we have that is we try to tell people, hey, we're not like the real estate isn't like the be all and end all to us. It's a vehicle to help you live life on your terms. Mm-hmm. And through that story, we've, t- we've told everybody that we believe in having three buckets in your life financially. You have to have access to cash for emergencies and deflation. You have to have hard money, which has always been gold and silver in our eyes. But I'll get mm-hmm. to that in a second, which I, I know you know where I'm headed with that. You have oh, to yeah. have some h- hard money and you have to have income streams. And, you know, if it's real estate, great. If it's your own business, a side hustle, a big business, whatever, you need income streams. If we can help you buy some properties, great. But we don't just believe in real estate. That's kind of like the framework. 
And that's what kind of is our, our business is about. So it's not about like real estate's number one. It's more about how do we live life on our terms as Canadians? How do we do it? How do we get around the Bank of Canada, which I have been feel like I want to be in some of their meetings in Ottawa because I have such a dislike for what goes on from our Bank yeah. of Canada. I want to be in the meetings. So when they decide these crazy policies, I want to be able to be in the back just going, hey, you know, quick question over here. Can I ask you some, some things about your crazy interest rate policies and your inflation targets and all that nonsense? But, mm -hmm. So then when I meet someone like you, aside from the Bitcoin stuff, I need to know more about your freaking story because you are doing a full-time thing. Uh, you're doing a great job with it. But if I'm understanding correctly from our brief chat, you're doing a full-time thing on YouTube, correct? Yeah. Yeah. hundred um, percent. I've gradually shifted there over the years, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm 100% full-time doing my channel and uh, educating people about Bitcoin. <laughs> so uh, how did this, I don't know how much you're willing to share and not share, but can you tell us a little bit? Cause I, I just interested, how did that, how did you evolve into that? So um, I guess I will start with kind of where I was at previously um, in terms of just an individual and my my habits and kind of where I was at uh, in in terms of career and everything. Um, so I, I've historically always been a terrible saver. Um, I, I you know like a lot of people just always found it difficult to to keep up and to I, there's this ingrained culture of uh, overspending and spending everything that you have and and buying everything on credit and so on and so forth. Um, so that was kind of my habit in terms of money. Um, in terms of where I was at in my career, I was actually completely different from where I was, uh, where I am now. Um, I was a, a hip hop dance instructor for years. Come on. Um, yeah. My yeah. daughter does competitive dance. And so I oh. know, I know this whole world a little bit. So, yeah. uh, wow. Very cool. Yeah. So, so I got into that. You have uh, a look for it because you have the hair. Look, if I know <laughs> yeah. people can't say, I have no hair. I don't have the look. You got the. You actually have the look for this. So I can see that now Get, that you say that. Well, give me a few years and we'll no, see. No, how no, I'm no, no. You're but. good. No, you're totally good. Anyone listening to this can't see Ben or Benjamin, as I like to refer to him. Uh, but yeah, full set of hair. Yes. Yeah, so. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, we'll again. We'll we'll touch back on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In yeah. A few okay. Years. Okay. Fair but, enough. Um, yeah, so I spent years doing that. I was with a company for about a decade called Sound Creations, and they do in-school residencies. So instead of the phys ed teacher going, oh, God, the dance unit, I got to deal with this, they'd get some experts to come in and actually teach people, uh, a lot of the time, hip hop and, or variations therein, locking, popping, so on and so forth. So that was me. I would get to be that flavor of the week uh, novelty person that came in and relieved kids of their, their phys ed teacher for a week. Uh, and actually teach something that I was passionate about. So I did that for a long time. Um, in the midst of doing this, you know, I was always interested in in, in aspects of technology. I, I wasn't hugely techie, but I would still, I'd tear apart a MacBook and upgrade it and, you know, f oddly enough, flip MacBooks for a while. <laughs> I did things like that. Yeah, that's pretty, that's um, pretty techie. Tearing apart a MacBook, that's pretty techie. Uh, yeah, I guess, I suppose. It is, yeah. it, so, is. it qualifies, it qualifies. Yeah. So, so that was kind of just a hobby of mine and a way to get a little bit of extra money here and there. But um, I did notice a few articles in, in and around 2013 on Bitcoin. And, and you know, I, I didn't really dive deep into it. I saw different price points. And each time I saw the price, I thought, oh, geez, I guess I missed the boat. So I, I saw it in double digits in early 2013. And then a few months later, I saw it over $100. And I was like, well, I, 
missed that boat, obviously. Oh my gosh, and, you saw it in double digits. You're <laughs> blowing my mind. Okay, great. You then, thought you missed the boat. I'll tell you our story. And then yeah, yeah you'll, you'll, you'll feel a lot better about yourself. But uh, but yeah, okay, keep going. Keep going. Sorry. So, so I saw it. I saw it. Yeah, double digits. Then I saw it a hundred and something dollars. And I was like, okay, missed the boat. And then I saw it again at the end of 2013 when it went up above $1,000 for the first time. I was like, oh man, I really missed the boat, but maybe I should do a bit of reading. This is either a massive Ponzi scheme or there's something here. And so I, I didn't buy any right away. I actually spent about two or three months kind of digesting material, trying to find any sort of tutorials or anything around it. Um, it was pretty difficult to parse through. There's a lot of technical stuff, but not a lot of user-friendly, newcomer-based uh, material out there. So after a few months, I found a few things that were useful at the time, which were hard to come across. Um, after about three months uh, in early 2014, I bought my first little bit of Bitcoin. I, you know, I just put in 50 bucks, uh, bought it on a, a website that doesn't exist anymore, but um, I was able to use a debit card online to get some sent to me. And it's kind of a sketchy process, but I managed to make it work and get a wallet going and, and, and get a little bit of Bitcoin. And almost immediately after I bought it, the headline like days later was uh, the implosion of Mount Gox, which at the time was the largest uh, Bitcoin online exchange in the world. And it got hacked for hundreds of millions of dollars. And the the headlines at the time everywhere everywhere were uh, Bitcoin got hacked. Everybody loses hundreds of millions of dollars. So everybody thought that the currency itself got hacked. Uh, but that was not the case. It was just a, a poorly run business with bad security practices, the equivalent of uh, a gold dealer uh, having their store broken into or a bank having a, a, a digital hack of their funds, or so on and so forth. Um, but besides the fact, I, luckily enough, I had done enough research to understand that the headlines did not reflect the reality and the underlying proposition of what Bitcoin stood for and what it could solve was still there. And I just said to myself, well, as, as, as long as it continues to work and is doing what it promises to do, then I'm going to keep going with this. And I kind of kept learning. And about two years into my Bitcoin learning curve, uh, there was still a distinct lack of easily accessible and digestible learning material. Okay. So before we get to that, because I think you're going to segue into what you're doing, why did you even, I don't get it because it's brilliant that you looked into Bitcoin. But from your past life, what triggered you to think that this is something you need to look in into? Like, I know you stumbled upon it because for me, it was, you know, I always feel like my, I grew up middle class in Canada. I feel like the savings of my parents, I saw my, you know, my father get up early work construction really hard and all his savings just basically be destroyed through this insidious small amount of inflation that nobody talks about. So for me, gold, and I know we're going to get to Bitcoin, but gold was always like, okay, this thing makes sense because this thing's going to kind of sort of hold its value. Whereas the Canadian dollar seems like a disaster to me. And it led me down this path of understanding monetary policy and getting into getting into deeper and deeper. What was the moment for you other than stumbling into this Bitcoin world? Or was that it? You stumbled into Bitcoin and then that let you, led you down the monetary policy rabbit hole. Yeah, it, it was quite that. So like a lot of people, um, 
you know, the, a lot of Bitcoiners call it number go up technology. <laughs> so, you know, the scarcity drives, you know, assuming more adoption happens, it, it, it can drive uh, numbers up quite quite distinctly it's it's mm. kind of hard to ignore and so you know a lot of people have that story of well i you know i got into it uh as a speculative play but then quickly discovered there was much more to it and dove down the rabbit hole of why it was even created in the first place Jeez, so, isn't that you know, brilliant that bitcoin does that like that yeah. that it's pulling so many people into understanding the bigger monetary policy that's going on in the world like to me that that alone makes bitcoin brilliant just yeah it's 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 amazing because uh, and again another saying that a lot of bitcoiners use is it's a it's a uh (laughs) it's a get poor say it i feel like you're yeah a a, a get poor slow scheme disguised as a get rich quick scheme yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. you're effectively, yeah, like you, you think that, oh, I'm going to jump into this and make a quick buck. And then as you zoom out and you start to understand the implications of, of what this accomplishes and why it was created in the first place, you start to realize why you were having such a hard time in the first place and why so many people, they don't understand that but they feel that something is wrong and they understand that it's it from year to year it's more and more difficult just to make ends meet and just to kind of scrape by and maintain the same standard of living it just seems harder and people are working more and 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 people don't understand the the structural deficiencies that our system has yeah. so it so- it very much drove me down that rabbit Got hole. It. Okay. Afterwards. And then that's when you noticed a lack of information. Is that the yeah. segue then into your YouTube channel and you sharing information? Yeah, exactly. So um, as as I was learning, I had a, a hell of a time trying to parse through a lot of this stuff, even as I, I guess a moderately tech technical person. Um, and so what I realized is, is again, I've got a background in, in performance and education. And so I thought, well, oddly enough, the act of teaching school-aged children complex dance moves is very similar to teaching uh, adults complex technology. And so the segue was a lot more natural than one would think, just looking surface level. And so as long as I had a good understanding of what was going on there, then I could parse through that, break it down in a way that was easily presentable to individuals that have really no tech background. So that resulted in the channel. I started doing, I I figured even if nobody watches this or very few people watch it, it'll be for me too. And so I I started doing one video a week on a tutorial and whatever I decided to cover that week. When was that? When did that start? That was in 2016. Oh, wow. Okay. That's not too long. I, I, it's not too yeah. long ago. Yeah. Coming up on five years. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So one a week and then, then what do you think immediately? When does the thought happen that like, Oh, this might be something that I can really dive into deeper. When does that evolution of this happen? Uh, it took about a year and a half, two years. It was uh, end of 2017. So as things were really hitting a fever pitch with the mania of 2017, um, I had been juggling the two jobs. So I kind of shifted from teaching uh, at, at the dance job to doing kind of more behind the scenes, organizing, sending out uh, instructors and everything. Um, but I was also trying to juggle 
a, a new job that I took on even just part-time uh, at a, an over-the-counter desk that that bought and sold Bitcoin and allowed people to come in with cash or debit cards or whatever. Um, and I was doing education there as well. And I just, I, I found that I could not concentrate and put much of my mental capacity into my old job because I was so enthralled in what I was doing. And it just got to a point where I just, out of, out of respect for my former employer, I just, I could no longer, uh, I, I, I couldn't effectively do my job and so i i at that point i said i know this is gonna wow. be a, no a no but that's true. you had a you now had a mission in life like you now yeah. had a mission where you needed to follow that journey and that meant just leaving the job and i don't know if you were married i don't know if you're married now by the way i, I don't mm -hmm. know but uh, yeah. i don't know how that affects a relationship and the i know when i quit my job i had to have the mm -hmm. talk with my you know i had a, a four-year-old 10 month old yeah. and i had to tell my wife okay look <laughs> We're making a great income right now, but I can't, yeah. I can't do this anymore. I'm going yeah. to quit and my, and our income as a family is going to fall quite substantially, but hopefully mm -hmm. one day fingers crossed and everything goes well, it'll come back and maybe even surpass. And she, I had to kind of get her buying and luckily I had the support of her. So I don't know how, it, how that was with you. Were you married at the time? Or oh not? yeah. Are you, I don't even yeah. know if you're married now. Are you, you are married? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, at the time when I made that shift, I was married and we had a, a I believe at the time around four month old child. Wow. So yeah. so it was it was an interesting period of my life because, you know, I'm experiencing being a father for the first time. Uh, you know, I had just gotten back about a year prior from uh, a backpacking trip and my wedding. Um, and all of a sudden I'm taking this 10 year career that I had and effectively saying, I, I, I don't want this. I just cannot do it anymore. I'm too, I'm too in, incredulous over what's happening in the Bitcoin space that I cannot ignore anymore. And I had to shift my entire life. Yeah. Good for you. I, I, for, for, and for me, when, when I did that, like I, my say, I, I sold out any RRSPs I had to support it. I used credit line on, on our house. At one point, I was paying for the property taxes on our home from the credit line on that home. And I know that's not financially, you know, that's not a good yeah. thing. That's not a yeah. good thing when you're using that. Um, so to go through that and what you've done, I really commend you for that. Like that's a, that's a big deal and to Thanks, be doing man. what you're doing. And so, you know, and, and for sharing this story and I think everyone listening to this, anyone listening to this, our audience is pre predominantly GTA, you know, greater Toronto area, but it's right across mm -hmm. Canada. If you are not subscribed to Benjamin's, I'll stop calling you Benjamin. I don't know why I just <laughs> like that name. Ben's uh, YouTube channel, BTC Sessions. So BTC Sessions, make sure you subscribe mm -hmm. to this. Let's support other Canadians doing this kind of stuff. And on top of that, you're sharing incredible information to everyone beyond Canada, obviously. So uh, cool. so thank you for doing what you're doing. Really, really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on. No, no, no. It's, it's all good. And so, uh, and, and so, yeah, to make you feel better, I dismissed Bitcoin many times. At one point, <laughs> we were doing, a, we were doing some Something, a couple of buddies were telling me that, you know, we're going to be paying for everything in Bitcoin. And I'm like, listen, you know, in our business, the Canadian government makes me pay taxes in Canadian dollars. So like, I would kind of mm -hmm. love to believe what you're talking about, but they got me. Like I have mm -hmm. to pay in Canadian dollars. So your theory is false, you know? And uh, then I kind of dismissed it. I remember the AV guy at one of our big client uh, things we do a few times a year for, for our members here. 
We had about 700 people in the room and he leans over to me. This is a right uh, kind of early fall, 2017. And he's mm -hmm. like, I bought some Bitcoin. And I looked at him like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing with this? Let me save you. Let me save you. What are you doing? Don't do that. And then I think he bought it on Visa even. I don't know how he bought it, but oh, you know, yeah. you know, I don't know in those days, you would know better than me. And I'm like, oh, just get rid of that stuff, right? And then it was uh, this year, right around March when everything kind of shut down. And uh, I broke open the Bitcoin standard by Seyfedina Moose. And uh, I started yeah. reading it and I thought, how have I studied monetary policy for 10 years, gold for 10 years, studied the Bank of Canada's moves and the Federal Reserve's moves for 10 years, understanding why real estate's doing what it is. And we can argue in this area of prices, if it should be doing what it's doing or not, you know, and I think mm -hmm. it's kind of ridiculous where the middle class is being priced out of the market the way it is, especially in this area here. And, uh, but at least I'm aware of why price action in real estate's happening. How have mm -hmm. I studied all this, studied gold, and it's monetary history. And I just didn't catch on to what Bitcoin is. And for me, it, I remember running around the, there was nobody in our office here. I ran around the corner to Nick and, I, and I'm like, I'm knocking on his window. He's on a phone call there. And I'm like, Nick, we're going to have to buy some Bitcoin like today. We need to get this like t today. So our entry point into it was March, April time for frame 2020. Oh, that's, so that's that makes brilliant. you feel any... Yeah, no, well, I, I feel like it's brilliant though. now. I feel like it's brilliant now. And and we, we you know, we did kind of go a little aggressive. And, uh, um, but if, to make you feel better, there you go. Um, we just feel like uh, we want to tell everybody about this because it fits like the hard money narrative that we believe in so well. And all the things that I think gold does well, I can't find how Bitcoin doesn't do it better. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, and, and that's kind of what we're sharing. So more and more, I'm looking at my gold and I'm just kind of scratching my head here going, what, what is it? Why do I have this? What, what is mm -hmm. it that I'm holding on to this stuff uh, 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 again for? But anyway, we can debate that all, all day long, but we are big mm -hmm. into Bitcoin, huge into, you know, huge into this, this, this podcast has been talking a lot about Bitcoin in the last few months, but <laughs> for, I think you can really help us out because a lot of people we are, um, you know, work with that are members of ours and clients of ours, they're asking us, okay, how do I buy it? So we've, you know, we've yeah. kind of explained how, you know, go to an exchange and that kind of thing. Can we start with you uh, just talking about wallets and that kind of angle yes. from this? Cause I think it's really important. And I find I'm really scared. People are going to screw up, yeah. you know, and I think yeah. you need to know what you're doing. So once someone has gone to buy some, let's assume they've kind of got to an exchange or in some capacity, mm -hmm. they bought it. When I say wallets to you, what would you explain to people from, I don't know, safety backups types. Could you just kind yeah. of go through that for us? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I first know it's off, a big, uh, it's a big topic. So I, <laughs> you know, just take this wherever you want to go. Yeah, no worries. No worries. So uh, first off um, the important thing to know is that uh, when it comes to Bitcoin, it, it, it kind of flips security on its head in that you are statistically more secure holding it yourself in your own custody than leaving it in the custody of another, at least historically. And the reason for that is because uh, these exchanges, these online exchanges, they are honeypots. And with Bitcoin, given that it is sound money, it's the equivalent of holding bars of gold. If a vault gets broken into and somebody steals you know, a ton of gold, the, there's no bailouts for that. There's no 
real, like you can maybe insure it for dollars, but there is finite gold that you can replace that with and you have to go purchase it. Um, the same is true of Bitcoin. And so when you hold uh, Bitcoin on an exchange, first of all, a lot of the time it's not insured. Um, at least not to the extent that you would get from from depositors insurance at a bank. Um, and again, it's a honeypot. The the degree of reward and the amount of effort uh, to hack an exchange is similar to that uh, the amount of effort to hack an individual. So, uh, but the reward, obviously, to hack an individual and try and get their funds is far less. So it's much better for individuals to hold their own funds. So if you go to an exchange and you buy some Bitcoin and you sit it there, that's known as a custodial solution. Okay. And just on that note, do you have some favorite ones in Canada to, that you can just, you like, or you can recommend? We know some of the guys at BitBuy, so we've mm -hmm. had them on the podcast and stuff, yeah. but I feel like you're exposed to a lot more. Are there some yeah. that you just recommend for, for Canadians? Yeah. Yeah. So I've done uh, tutorials on, on a few different solutions. Um, there's, you can obviously get it online and at exchanges. A couple that come to mind are ShakePay uh, and Bull Bitcoin. Those are a couple that, that I use regularly. Um, also, you can use online services and ATMs. So another good company that is actually just changing in the midst of a name change, formerly Bitcoin Solutions, now Bitcoin Well, as in like everybody comes back to the well. Uh, so, so those are a few names that pop to mind. So you can check those online and find them easily enough. Um, and in purchasing Bitcoin, if you just leave it there, again, that's a custodial solution. So it's sitting in the hands of somebody else and you you don't really hold anything. You hold an IOU, you hold an account where they say you have Bitcoin, but you, you can't really audit that. And historically, especially in Canada, we've had a lot of bad luck with this. We had Quadriga CX go down. We had Einstein uh, lose a ton of funds. We've had a whole bunch of data breaches. It's just bad to leave your Bitcoin on an exchange. So you want to get it to an own your own privately held wallet. Now, the word wallet is a tad misleading in that people think, oh, I put money in my wallet. But the way that Bitcoin works is it's literally just a giant online ledger of who owns what. What's actually held in your wallet is a set of keys to your money. So, you know, a better term for it would have been keychain. Uh, because that's what it holds. It holds keys to your money. Uh, but a lot of the attributes of a wallet are much like a, a digital key. So if you think of a key to your house, um, you know, it unlocks your house and the contents of it, or it unlocks a vault and the contents of it, but you can also make a copy of that key. So you can make a copy of your wallet. You can have a backup of your wallet and that it's effectively making a copy of that key that can unlock your money and give you the, the credentials to move it. So, there... so just on the, on that point, before you go to the next step. So when we all mm -hmm. buy Bitcoin, we are buying a piece of ownership in the ledger that lives out on the mm -hmm. Bitcoin network. The keys yes. are our access to our ownership component of that ledger. And it's yeah. the wallet where we're not really taking the Bitcoin off an exchange or off that you know, custodial, whoever's holding it, we're mm -hmm. taking our keys or our access to what we own off the exchange and holding it directly ourselves. Is that a good summary or no? Well, the exchange has its own set of keys and those keys have credentials for a certain Bitcoin. Um, when you pull your Bitcoin off of an exchange, it moves on the ledger 
and it is accessible now only by the keys that you hold. So it's kind of like, imagine there was a giant safety deposit box in the sky that was completely transparent and everybody could see every bit of monetary value sitting in that transparent uh, safety deposit box. Effectively, what's happening is the exchange is opening up theirs with their key they're pulling out some cash and then they're stuffing it through the slot for your safety deposit box so they can no longer move it. Only your key can pull it out of that box. Perfect. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay, cool. So so there are a couple different uh, levels of security when it comes to wallet. Um, there's what's known as a hot wallet. And a hot wallet is a wallet that resides on a device that is connected to the internet. Um, so with that, there's a certain degree of risk. Um, you can get a hot wallet on your phone. Uh, a good one that I use for day-to-day -day use on my phone is called Blue Wallet. And it's pretty easy to use, um, but it's, it's, I've done a tutorial on it and step-by-step. -step. Uh, but yeah, Blue Wallet is available for Android and for iPhone. Um, it's pretty, pretty easy to use. And basically what happens when you get a wallet is you start up a new account. It's always free of charge. If your wallet is charging you for use, you're doing something wrong. Get rid of that one. Um, but effectively, what it does is it starts you up a new, uh, for lack of a better term, Bitcoin account. And it says, okay, we need to back up your wallet, which means we need to make a copy of the keys to your money, just in case anything goes wrong. If you delete the app, if you smash your phone, somebody steals your phone, you're going to want access to your money. Uh, so most wallets, what they'll do is they'll provide you with uh, between 12 and 24 words. It's just a phrase. It's called your seed phrase, human readable English words written in a certain order. You write down, that down on a piece of paper and you store it in a safe um, or keep it somewhere safe uh, where nobody can access it. Because again, with the key analogy, if somebody gets hold of that, then they can access your funds. So that's your ultimate uh, backup to the wallet those words. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, you just want to keep that in a secure place somewhere secret where nobody else is going to get a hold of it. And then that way, again, if you lose your phone, you can then uh, either on your computer or a new phone or whatever, you can download either the same app or actually any other Bitcoin wallet. And you can plunk in those words and gain access to your funds once again. Got it. And can you do, and, and is that cross, I've, I've thought about this and I think it is because of some of the standards that have changed in the last few years. I mm -hmm. use a Nano X yeah. and, and I know you're going to talk, you're probably going to talk about hardware wallets in a second, mm -hmm. but if, if the 24 words that I get with any wallet, let's say I want to switch wallets mm -hmm. to a different company. Can I take those 24 words and put them into another company's wallet and it will work? Or do those yes. words, are they proprietary just to that one company? Am I making nope, sense no. here? Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a set of standards across the industry now where pretty much any 12 to 24 word phrase is interoperable with any hardware or any software that supports Bitcoin. So you can jump over to another wallet and you can plunk in those words and access your funds the same as you would previously. Um, now, it, you know, there are certain security practices uh, involved and such, but we'll, we can get into that okay. uh, in that as we get into hardware or cold wallets. So 
Is there anything you want me to touch on in terms of hot wallets, uh, in terms of wallets no, either I on think, your phone I or computer? Th I think that's it other than just the, I guess, the risks in your mind, what you consider them to be, which would be, I guess, you lose your phone, you delete the app or whatever. Is, is that's the biggest risk, I guess, with the hot wallet? Or and it's easily more easily hackable, I guess? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So your funds are only as secure as the device they reside on. So if you think about it, the key to your money is sitting on an internet connected device. And so if that device is compromised in any way, and somebody remotely is able to access the files on your computer or your phone, then they can see and find those uh, those backup words, and then they can move your funds to a wallet that they control. So, so that's the main risk with a hot wallet. So usually what I say is what's sitting in your hot wallet should be no more than you would be comfortable carrying in cash in your own wallet in your back pocket. Got it. Okay. That's a good way to look at it. Okay. And then before we go to the hardware wallet, those 24 words that you write down on a piece of paper, you know, I've seen, I think it's on, on one of your YouTube videos, you talk mm -hmm. about that, uh, or, or maybe on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, you're talking about like a piece of metal that you can kind of put those words on. Yes. Is, is yeah. there I, more and more I'm thinking like, I think I need to do that. Like, I like that yeah. kind of strategy. So can you just talk about that? And then maybe we'll go to hardware wallets. What, what's the whole idea with some of these metal solutions? Yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, uh, one of the ones that I use primarily is called, uh, the bill foddle, which is, uh, okay. it's, it's, it's a play on the, a bill fold. <laughs> so yeah, no, I like it. I like it. So if those wondering why they play on words, there was a, a historically on Reddit, there was a guy that, uh, had a drunk, a drunk post one night and he meant to write why I'm holding. And it was like in the middle of a dip and he had probably just started on the sauce because it was so dramatic. And so he, he wrote this whole post about why he's holding Bitcoin through the dip. And he actually misspelled in the title of the post, which you can't edit after the fact why I'm hodling. And rather than actually comment to like the bulk of what he was saying in his post, everybody just r replied in the comments with screams of hodl. And it became this moniker that Bitcoiners took up. And so now a lot of companies, you'll see like a play on the last two letters being switched because it's this callback to this historical Reddit post of hodl. Yeah, got it. And I had never heard the foddle, the foddle. I had never heard that. That's good. That's yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Got it. Okay. So these are what, this is one of the companies that does this thing. So can you just yeah. describe that? Yeah. So the bill foddle is effectively, it's, it's a little, um, a metal plate with tiny little uh, tiles that have letters uh, on them and you can slide them in to back up your 24 words. So the whole thing is sitting in solid steel. And what that effectively does is it's a few things. It makes it fireproof. It makes it water damage proof. So flood and fire, if your house burns down or if you're in a low lying area, um, you know, a piece of paper that's toast. So there goes your backup. Um, but also you're, you're much less likely to throw it a piece of solid steel instead of an indiscriminate piece of paper sitting around. So um, it, it kind of makes it you proof as well. Uh, and yeah, the guys at Bill Foddle, actually their website is privacypros.com, I believe. And, uh, and they have Bill Foddles, but they also have hardware wallets and they have uh, 
Faraday bags. If you're if you're super paranoid and you want to shove the thing in like a, a, a resistant to any type of outside signal bag, a lot of people put their passports and credit cards and stuff in that when they travel. So not a bad idea. Okay. <laughs> but got yeah, so, so so just to so to recap, then what you're saying is you get you can we can set up an account on exchange. You can buy your Bitcoin. Then if you mm -hmm. want to take the keys and and have them or own them yourself, you can get a. a um, a hot wallet or a software wallet. Am I using the yep. right terminology here? Hot wallet. Yep. And then I can take the keys off the exchange and put them in my direct control. The backup yep. to that soft or hot, hot wallet is going to be 24, 12 or 24 words. Those mm -hmm. words are my ultimate backup. And if instead of keeping those words on paper, I might want to put them into this bill foddle and, yep. uh, and, and, and store them that way. Cool. Yep. Yeah. Is, is exactly. that, is that a good summary so far? A hundred percent. And with yeah, each okay. step, you're getting greater degrees of security. Security isn't a binary option. It's not, I have security or I don't. It's what level of security do I have? If you're on an exchange, probably minimal. Uh, you move it to your own custody, better. Uh, you back it up on paper, great. Now you've got a backup. You back it up on steel. Okay, you're much better off. And then the next piece of that, which I do you want to dive into hardware now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Okay, so as we said, a, a software wallet or a, a, um, a, a hot wallet is one that resides on something connected to the internet. And the risk with that is it could be compromised and somebody could get into your files and steal a backup of your wallet and be able to access your funds. What hardware wallets are, are dedicated devices that never directly connect to the internet that create and store your Bitcoin keys. So a lot of people, they hear this and they think, well, wait a minute, how, how can I have Bitcoin on a device that never touches the internet? It's because Bitcoin is, as I alluded to before, Bitcoin does not reside on devices. It resides on a global distributed ledger. What resides in your wallets or on the devices are keys to certain funds on that ledger. And so what happens with uh, a hardware wallet is you create your keys specifically on the device, which is never online. And when you go to actually approve a transaction to money that is allocated to those keys, um, even when you plug the device into a computer or a phone, uh, it doesn't actually share any access. It never actually touches the internet. It doesn't share any access to the keys to your money. What it does is it simply proves that it has the keys and approves a specific movement or a specific transaction. So it, your, your phone or your computer says, okay, I would like to move these funds from here to there, from point A to B. And then the computer asks, or the Bitcoin network asks, do you have the credentials to do so? Um, you then take that kind of constructed transaction. And when you plug in your device, it says, are you allowed to do this? And your device proves that it can. It's kind of like if we were standing in front of a house. And I said, I own that house. You said, prove it. Well, one option is I could give you a key and you could go open the front door or you could watch me open the front door. And that's effectively what you're doing with a hardware wallet. Somebody's watching you open the front door and seeing that you have the credentials without giving them access to the keys. Got it. And I think to me, that's my favorite one. 
<laughs> hardware yeah. wallet. It's the one I just personally feel safest with. I guess if you're going to put in something like you mentioned, the amount of money you feel comfortable carrying around in your pocket, I mm -hmm. guess one of the software hot wallets is fine. But if you start mm -hmm. to get beyond that, the hardware wallet feels like just the absolute necessary thing in your life. Yeah. And it does feel kind of freaky when you're using these things because the first time I moved from uh, Bitcoin, the keys from an exchange or, you know, got my own keys mm -hmm. and you kind of go through that and it, to you, I'm sure this is old hat at this point, but you know, when you take it off the exchange and then you move it to your wallet, just for anyone listening, just know there's a, you know, there's five, could be five, 10, 15, 20, 25 minutes till that mm -hmm. transfer kind of shows up on your wallet. And I just, you just go through this freak out period. I'm a lot calmer about it now, but at yep. first it's like, holy crap, like, is this even working? Like what, what, what's happening here? But I'm uh, using a hardware wallet just seems like an absolute, the right move to me. Yeah. Um, what when people are doing this what have you heard as the the biggest mistakes that they make when you're doing this is it is it the cutting and pasting you know of the receiving address and that kind of thing where do mm -hmm. people screw up because and the reason i want to talk about that is these transactions are not really reversible yeah. which is what makes bitcoin so great that it's mm -hmm. this permanent record. However, we need to know what the heck we're doing here because you don't want to mess this up. And I'm not trying to scare anybody at all. I just I just want everyone to be aware. There's a few things you need to be careful on. And I'm sure there's some things that come to mind for you. Are, yeah, are there? A hundred percent. So so there's a few things. Um, some basic due diligence is uh, when you are doing transactions, um, if you're sending Bitcoin somewhere. What's involved is uh, Bitcoin addresses. And these are strings of numbers and letters all, all strung together. They're kind of daunting looking, but it's it's they are different for every single transaction that you send or receive. So when you have a wallet, if you receive funds, you'll have a receiving address. Um, and anybody can copy and paste that address into their wallet. And it basically, it's like an address where they know exactly where to send the funds. Um, but it's, it is uh, basic due diligence to check at least the first few digits and the last few digits uh, from the source to what you have pasted into your wallet. Um, because sometimes, again, if you're on a compromised device, uh, like in a hot wallet, then um, that in transit, that can be changed. So you, what I mean is you go to copy an address and then you go to paste it into your wallet so you can send to somebody or send to yourself. Um, and unbeknownst to you, if you haven't checked, maybe that that address has changed to an address that somebody else controls. Um, so it's it's good to always check at least the first few and last digits of, of an address that you're sending to and cross-reference it to where you got the address from. Um, now, the, the main thing that people, uh, I would say the, the main method in which people lose funds is, again, user error, but also phishing attacks. And what I mean by phishing attacks is, is people sending you emails and getting you to disclose information you should not disclose. A, so a friend you, of mine just had one of those. Sorry, I got to jump in here because mm -hmm. he woke up a few, uh, just last week with an email that was a fake email from ledger.com. And it said overnight, they, his account had been compromised and to, I forget what the instructions were. He forwarded me the email, but it looked amazing. The email looked perfect, branded by ledger.com. And mm -hmm. the link was like ledger something else.com, but, it, but it looked, I think it was like ledger support. 
Com yeah. or something like that. It looked very legit. And he panicked, he immediately panicked. And rightly mm -hmm. so. You wake up in the morning, it's like the, one of the first emails that you see. And he sent yeah. it over to me. He's like, Tom, did you get this? I'm like, no, I didn't get that. That's dude, that's a phishing attack. Do not click on any of those things. Yeah. So this stuff happens out there. And I and I and I think I'm sure there's people clicking on there out of a panic mm -hmm. response and quickly giving out information they shouldn't be giving, which then can yeah. be used against them to take some of their Bitcoin. Yeah, so, 100%. Uh, I just want to so, highlight how important this is. Yeah, so so the red flags in that email are one that they're saying your account has been compromised. Well, they they don't hold an account with Ledger themselves. That account or those keys are independent of any one company. So for Ledger to be emailing you saying that your account was compromised, again, you don't have one. So so why would they know? And secondly, Ledger doesn't know what keys and what funds are yours. They simply provide hardware. They do not provide accounts. They do not create keys for you. They do not know what your accounts are or how much Bitcoin you hold. And so effectively, what I imagined the email said was, uh, your account has been compromised. We need to, you to take your backup, your seed, your 12 to 24 words, and we need to, you to input it here. And effectively, what you're doing is you're saying, all right, here you go, random person on the internet. Here's the keys to all of my money. And they move it to a wallet they control and it's gone. It is irreversible at that point. Okay. I have some other questions for you outside of security, but one last one on security was how about the whole multi-sig or multiple signature thing? Is that just too much right now? Is that something you recommend for people? Should they look into it? Do you have a solution you like, or do you advise not to look into that right now too early in that game? Where are you on the, on that world? So I, I've been doing a lot of videos on multi-sig lately. It's getting there. I would say for Can the you describe what, describe what yeah. it is. Yeah. So, um, with a regular hardware wallet, you have one key to your money or rather a key and a backup to that. Um, what multi-sig is, is you create a vault that requires a certain number of keys to open it. So you, you create a vault with three separate devices, three separate keys, and you set the um, parameters that you require at least two of those three keys to open and spend money from that account. And so what this does is you take the three devices and you move them to geographically diverse locations. So you could have one in a safe at home, one in a safety deposit box, and one in a relative's house. And in order to move those funds, you're no longer subject to what's known as the $5 wrench attack. And that's where you spend all this money and time putting together a, a complex security setup, but somebody breaks into your house, the $5 wrench and threatens to hit you with it until you give them your money. Um, that's no longer possible because somebody comes to your house and they say, give me your money and you don't have access to it. You have one key of three. And so they're going to have to shove you in their car and, and make a few stops before they see any money. And odds are they're going to disappear before that happens. Um, so it, in, in concept, uh, it is an excellent security mechanism. However, there's more room for user error currently. Um, there's the backup process is quite different. Um, and if you are looking into multi-sig, then at the time of recording this podcast, I would say for newcomers, a better option is to go with a, a third party solution, which some people may be saying, Hey, wait, 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 you said custodians are bad. They are, but, uh, something new 
with multi-sig that has come down the line is the possibility of uh, mitigating risk by having a trusted third party hold only one of your three keys. Uh, and so what this does is you always have access to your funds with two of those keys and the custodian never has access to your funds with only one of those keys. But in a pinch, if you destroy one of your keys, you can then go to that custodian and say, hey, listen, I need your help. I need you to help me send this transaction. And they have that third key that enables you to, in concert, send that money out. So it's, it's, it kind of helps you from screwing yourself. So if you're looking into multi-sig, then maybe take a look at uh, Unchained Capital or CASA. Both of them offer multi-sig solutions. But for the majority of people, you're going to be looking for a hardware wallet if you get to that amount where you, you feel you need more security. Basic ones, I would say, to start with are either Ledger or Trezor. But if you want to dive a little bit deeper down the rabbit hole and understand a little bit more about Bitcoin, the Kobo Vault or the Cold Card are probably more your your style or your style or your jam. Okay, God, thanks for all that. I mean, really appreciate it, Ben. There's a lot there. I think, you know, uh, you probably uh, not that you take it for. I shouldn't say that you you would take it for granted. But people getting in that it's a lot to take in. You yes. know, these wallets and exchanges. We're dealing with a lot of questions of just like how do I buy some Bitcoin? You know, just yeah. at that level. So yeah. thank you for for all of that explanation. Really, really appreciate. It. I want to ask you some other questions before we kind mm -hmm. of I have some more time here with you. Um, yeah. Anything else on security that come to mind or is that, is that pretty, pretty good? I think that's pretty good. Again, the yeah, okay. version of that is step one, figure out what exchange you wanted to step two, figure out what hot wallet you want to use. I would say blue wallet. Step three, consider hardware. And that would be uh, maybe a ledger or a trezor for most people listening to this. Yeah, got it. Okay. Okay. So then um, I can see you think similar to, to, to me when it comes to the banks based on the t-shirt that you're wearing. Really like that t-shirt. That's a, that's <laughs> yes, a great t-shirt. One yeah, of my favorite Bitcoin shirts. <laughs> because yeah, there's going to be some kids in the car listening to this anyway, but I can't resist reading the t-shirt because it says Bitcoin because fuck the bank or fuck banks. And so, uh, yeah, so that, that's a, that, that really clearly illustrates what you think of, of the banks. And, and to me, the banking system has just, uh, yeah, I have a lot of yeah. thought, and I'm sure anyone listening to this, they know what we feel about kind of the banking system and that that kind of thing. And I know there's some good people, of course, that work in different Canadian banks. It's just the system and the structure of it. It's mm -hmm. not designed to allow Ben or myself or anyone take their time and labor and put it into a, a thing that will allow will grow in value over time. And it's mm -hmm. forcing all of us to take risks in different things and different investments in some hopes of protecting the purchasing power that comes from your stored work time and, and energy. So, mm -hmm. you know, it just gets frustrating to me. The more you look into it, just like you, I'm sure by wearing that t-shirt, I clearly know that you think the same, th same thought. So it just gets frustrating. Um, but so when I'm curious when, you know, when you, you hear about central bank digital currencies and, you know, some of the things coming down the, the pipe, I, I think this is fascinating because I'm like, geez, these guys are kind of brilliant in how crazy they can get because they're going to, first of all, you announce a central bank digital currency from a, from a central bank. And so anyone listening to this, if you're not familiar, uh, there's a white paper that's gone out from the bank of Canada in conjunction with the European central bank and a bunch of the central banks saying, Hey, we need to look into these central bank digital currencies. And we're going to, you know, possibly put these out. It'll probably take them two or three years. Let's face it at, at least. Yeah. But when these things go out, they get the headline that they're going to do it, which then for those people who aren't educated in Bitcoin could easily think, 
oh, this is better or replacing Bitcoin, but it's completely different. It's just like Canadian dollars that can be printed at will, but the headline will look great. Let's face it. Because yeah. when it comes out, it's going to confuse some people. So that's why what you're doing, I think, is really important. And I'm being serious. Like getting the message out there is, is huge. So, um, but then beyond that, when they can distribute a currency digitally the way they're talking about and bypass the governments or, or, or even commercial banks and maybe put it in to some sort of digital wallet, then you have this world of behavioral economics where they can kind of pull triggers on different things and, and do, you know, give different interest rates to different people. It's a fascinating world coming up. What, 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 you know, what's your, what's your thoughts? What do, what do you think the timeline is for something? Like it's coming. It's coming. Yeah, it's, it's where, coming. Where, 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 where do you think, where, where does Canada, let's, like, let's just pick on Canada for a second. Like I know Bitcoin's global, but let's pick on Canada. When, when do you think we see something like that here? Random guess. I know none of us know. I would yeah. peg it at like probably three years is quick, but I got to think it's like they want to push this out. I got two, three years. I think we start seeing something. They might have some pilot projects in a few years. Uh, I feel like regardless of what goes out, it's, I mean, first of all, you have to trust that the Canadian government can do tech, which, <laughs> but I mean, realistically, maybe five years, we'll start to see it, it in actual use. I, again, I'm spitballing here, but I mean, it's, it's largely irrelevant because it's, it's digitized fiat. It can still be debased just the same, but there can be further restrictions on it. So, you know, if we get into the realm of they don't want people to save and they want to bolster the economy and encourage uh, encourage spending, well, when the central bank is directly issuing your currency in your wallet, it opens the door to them saying things like, hey, if you don't spend after X amount of time, then we start taking a percentage of the money out of your wallet direct negative interest rates uh, for holding in, an, in a personally held wallet. Of course, it it's likely not going to be any sort of like actually distributed, decentralized infrastructure. It's going to be more or less a centrally controlled ledger. It's just digital. It's, it's a database, um, but the Bank of Canada would have full control over that. Um, it, it is interesting, though, because... <sighs> It, you know, I'm, I'm wearing my shirt that says fuck banks, but uh, there's kind of two ways to look at, at even that sentiment. One is the irresponsible practices of of central banks. Number two is the fact that banks themselves can get away with all kinds of stuff and fall back on on the fact that they're going to get bailed out regardless of what they do. So they're they're encouraged almost to, to do irresponsible things. Um, but with a central bank digital currency that kind of disintermediates banks themselves but now we see banks that are trying to dive into custody of bitcoin so so it's it's like the banks see it coming and they're like well how are we going to what services can we offer to stay afloat in a world where central bank digital currency yeah, is that's interesting. Us. I never thought about it that way because I've always thought about it. I'm like, oh, the banking sector, they're screwed because yeah. if the central bank digital currency comes out, they're going to just be a customer service arm of the central banks. You'll get like yeah. a, a, a commercial bank's app, but it will be stuffed with central bank digital currency coming from the central bank, Bank of Canada, let's say, and the commercial banks will just have to be customer service to these mm -hmm. guys because they're, you know, you're not going to call the Bank of Canada with like, I can't log into my like app, right? Yeah. So they're going to be reduced to that, but then they won't really be creating the money like they have been, you know, when they give out loans to, re for example, real estate, 
when you sign the paper, you're creating that money when you sign the paper at that moment. And some of the creation of money is now being a little bit taken from them in some capacity. And, uh, I never thought of that though, from what you're saying is that maybe they get interested in things like Bitcoin more and more as a mm -hmm. way to open up some of their services that they see fading away with some of yeah. the new policies coming out. That could be fat. That, yeah. that, so I actually kind of hope for that. That yeah. that's, that's interesting. Well, it's exactly like it's, I, I don't think banks disappear in a world of Bitcoin. I think that their, their, influence and reach is is vastly reduced and the amount of services kind of go back to potentially uh credit but that credit is extended actually based on the merits of the person applying for that credit not oh we can issue this loan and you know if it defaults whatever you know, things go bad central bank bails us out you're not going to see as much of that when you're dealing with an absolute finite sound money um, it'd be much more difficult. At the same time, Bitcoin stands to be one of the most pristine, uh, pristine pieces of collateral that you could possibly have. Um, so the lending space around that could be interesting. And uh, it, it, it allows for much easier economic calculation when you know for, for certain how much is out there and, and what people are willing to do to get it or to borrow it. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Love all of that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So, and just going back to now your story, just to wrap up here, mm -hmm. what was, I just want you to share something. Cause there's a lot of different people we deal with who want to quit their jobs, do something that they're passionate about. I don't know, share something for us. Like what was one of the biggest fears you had that didn't come true or what have you learned about yourself or, or where do you see yourself headed? I just want to kind of bring us back to that point because I just love what you've done. I mean, you're, you've done what I think many people want to do. You found something you're passionate about and you chased it, you know, and you're making something of it to support yourself and you and your family. And uh, so we're fans. You have fans over here. We've never met uh, directly, but we're fans. And, and I definitely want to kind of anything we can do to support you or send people your way. We totally oh, want to do it. Um, <laughs> but what can you share to someone listening who maybe is in a similar boat? You know, they're, yeah. they're like, well, I don't know. And I don't really know. I know I'm not giving you a clear question here. Just what comes to mind? I mean, everything is, is pretty scary at first when you're taking on that personal responsibility. Um, if one thing Bitcoin taught me, it's, it, it is about personal responsibility and, and thinking for the long term and, and, and not necessarily working for a buck, but working to actually further myself and my knowledge and, and build for the future. And so if that means taking a hit in the short term in order to accomplish that, I'm, I'm more than willing to do it at this point. And, and the more you do that, the more you kind of stick your neck out there and kind of get used to that feeling. Sure, you're, you're going to have some failures. Uh, you know, I've had my fair share, but in doing so, you will become anti-fragile. Uh, you will become resilient and able to bounce back from things like that. You, you see billionaires that have lost it all and built it back from scratch multiple times over <laughs> in some cases. And it's, it's because they learn the process. And so I, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm uh, perfect in what I'm doing. I'm still very much learning, but, you know, take it step by step, you know, write down your goals and then say, okay, what's step one? And just focus on that. And, and it'll send you down a path. And if you make a misstep, take a couple steps back and try again. Uh, that's, that's, that's pretty much what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm shooting in the dark here, but it, it seems to be working so far. 
Yeah. Keep doing it. Keep, yeah. Keep doing it. So anyone who wants to find you, I know on YouTube, they could search up BTC sessions. The URL is btcsessions.ca. That'll be linked in the show notes of this episode. So if you're listening to this and you're on the road, go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash podcast in Ben's episode here. We'll have links to btcsessions.ca on Twitter. Your handle is also btc sessions. Yep. All and you're active on Twitter. I see you now, oh, now that I've been following you on Twitter for some time. Yeah. Yeah. you got lots of fun stuff to say. I love it. So uh, yeah. it's great. Um, anything else a little we should salty be sharing? on there. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. You want people to have an opinion. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Um, um, anywhere else. So on Twitter, YouTube, the website, anywhere else, anyone can find you or have we covered the basis? Those are, those are kind of the best spots to reach me at. Um, yeah. The, the website, YouTube, Twitter, that's, that's definitely where I'm most active. Okay. Awesome. And that's it. Really appreciate you doing this, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really, really taking the time and uh, really, really got, uh, got to know you better. And I really value that. So thank you very much. No worries. I had a blast. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Remember if you want to track down Ben, you can find him on Twitter at BTC sessions. You can find him on YouTube by Googling up BTC sessions and subscribing to his channel. Also in the show notes of this episode, we have links to his tutorials. So you can go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash podcast. You can find Ben's episode. It'll be labeled BTC sessions and find links to, uh, to the, the video tutorials that we mentioned in the episode. And if you're listening to this and you want to learn some real estate investing strategies to add a cash flow or new income component to your life, you can check out what we are doing with Canadians right in this area by going to www.canadianrealestatetraining.com. That's www.canadianrealestatetraining.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms. <laughs>